And this really should be um, subtitled, how do you get your brand strategy to survive until you can see the long-term impact? Because it takes a long time. We talked about that before. So in the short term, you want to know uh, really that what you've invested in is getting noticed. It's registering with the intended audiences, even if it can't have a significant effect yet. So one tip I would suggest is trying to build in a behavioral response to, to your early creative when you launch a brand or a brand refresh, if you can. Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support, a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students, and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates, higher education leaders have never been under more pressure. How can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support, increasing research funding, and diversifying revenue streams? In How to Market a University, Terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic, integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values. Enrollify and Terry have joined forces to produce Enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into Terry's book. Over the next eight weeks, this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course. But that's it, just a taste. To unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the master course on how to market a university at enrollify.org forward slash master course. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash master course. This master course features guest experts like Seth O'Dell, Jenny Petty, Jamie Hunt, Ethan Braden, Michael Stoner, Angela Pollock, Binti Harvey, Bob Johnson, and many more. It's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material. And last but certainly not least, this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort. We want to thank Simpson Scarborough, MindPower, DD Agency, and Ology, for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. So Terry, we've spent the last several episodes, a good six episodes talking about how to think through a brand strategy, how to build brand expressions, what to do and not to do when it comes to digital marketing. And once everything is in motion, it's obviously incredibly important to understand how things are performing, where we might need to adapt and improve strategies, where we might need to pivot. So at the highest of levels, how should institutions be thinking about measuring the value of their brand and whether or not all of the work that they've just done to build and execute this brand strategy is actually working? So let's take the really long view to start, okay? Ultimately, we should be looking at the awareness, the attitudes, and the perceptions of the most important target audiences. 
whose engagement and support are critical to meeting institutional goals, because that's how we're going to build value, both reputation and revenue. And it's important to acknowledge that brands, brand perceptions shift very gradually, unless something really bad happens, if your institution did something that was really stupid. So measures have to focus on those perceptions that the brand strategy was aimed at, because you're not going to see more than incremental changes at first. If you started with resources that are focused on students, for example, then those are the ones whose perceptions that matter the most for measurement of a brand. The ultimate brand equity and brand health uh, measure is brand loyalty, in my view, hmm. right? And so you're asking yourself questions to reflect, do those that you've engaged remain engaged over? Do they recommend you to others? Are they proud of their affiliation with you? Would they do it all over again? You want large majorities of your stakeholders to be unabashed promoters of your brand, not neutral, hmm. not negative. You want them to be promoters. Yeah. It it seems to me, and you, you would know way better, so please correct me, if, correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the time folks kind of fall into that neutral category, right? Like it's very hard. You, of course, you've got your negative Nancys, and then you've got your, you know, promoter Pauls or whatever. I just <laughs> made that one up. But, but you know, there is this huge group of people. Like, I, I again, I not to make this about me, but I think about my own college experience. And yeah. I don't know that, as I've mentioned before, I went to George Mason University. I don't know that I was ever asked. I'm sure I was. I'm sure there was some survey here. But like during the actual, col my actual college mm -hmm. experience, it wasn't memorable, at least in terms of, hey, how is it going? Yeah. So that they could use that data right. And then when I get, you know, the one, I get, you know, 10 emails from Mason every year and they all come around sort of their annual giving day. Right. Had they, had they done a better job of, of engaging me kind of throughout my student experience there, perhaps I would have a, you know, less than, or, or I'd actually have a positive experience, want to be a brand ambassador as opposed to the, the kind of neutral category that I self-identify with at this moment. Do you have any quick, just like, you know, lessons learned on how to move people from neutral into yeah. positive, you know, promoter polls. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a guy that I worked with when we were developing the first visual identity for university of Maryland as a new marketing director. His name was David Ashton. He was a very famous graphic designer whose agency did some of the design for Camden Yards and Baltimore Baseball oh, wow. Stadium or Jacobs Field. He's a really smart guy. And he used to talk about thinking about, you know, you're never going to get people who feel very strongly negative about you. It's just you're not going to recover them in most instances. And the promoters, you want to keep them engaged and, prom and promoting. It's the people on the fence. And they could either fall back with the negatives mm. or you could pull them or push them to the promoter side. They're the most easy to influence if you get them the right way. And that's really what makes, creates movement in terms of changing brand perceptions. So thinking about what you can do to pull, mm. to draw, you know, attract or push, you know, give them a shove <laughs> off the fence to, to the more positive side. If you've got people who are shy, embarrassed, not proud of their affiliation with the institution, maybe they had a good experience, but they don't see it reiterated or referenced in other settings. Hmm. This happens a lot on Wall Street with people at institutions that aren't Ivy League. We used to have a member of the university's board who was the president of Goldman Sachs who said it drove him crazy that he'd go into a room and um, be talking with people and realize there are other graduates of the same institution. They never shared sort of where they went, yeah. what that affiliation was. He w went on a mission that he was going to get interns, more interns every year from institutions that weren't in the Ivies 
and really like boost them up in their pride in their institution, including our own, so that they would proudly reflect that affiliation, not be sort of holding it yeah. back because it wasn't as good as. And really, I think part of that those neutrals are they might have a good experience, but they don't yet see a reason to reflect that pride yeah, without yeah. being embarrassed about it. And that's what you've got to unlock. Yeah. Ooh, so well said. Love that story. So in the course and, and in the book, you talk about measuring brand and marketing impact in the short term, the medium term, and the long term. Can you flesh out this framework for us and maybe even tease in a couple of examples of short-term mm -hmm. medium term and and long-term measurement mm -hmm. and this is really should be um, subtitled how do you get your brand strategy to survive until you can see the long-term impact right? <laughs> because it takes a long time we talked about that before so in the short term you want to know uh, really that what you've invested in is getting noticed it's registering with the intended audiences even if it can't have a significant effect yet so one tip I would suggest is trying to build in a behavioral response to, to your early creative when you launch a brand or a brand refresh if you can so it might be driving people to a website where you can watch the traffic increase it might be clicks on something that you've directed people to or shares or engagements obviously the digital tools make it easier to do this than it's ever been before but it can be done in other environments an example we have is that when we launched the want campaign at american we bought 5,000 t-shirts. We brought them to a barbecue on the first day of classes out on the quad. And we set up a tent sort of like a concert, mm. what t-shirts that you would see at a concert. And it had wonk t-shirts of all types that had surfaced through the development of the brand strategy and the creative testing. So we had t-shirts for green wonks, social justice wonks, media wonks, you name it, right? We even had some blank t-shirts that had blank wonk and we had fabric pens so people could come right in what kind of wonk they were could have been a dangerous <laughs> choice but it turned out to be okay in any case we gave away all of those t-shirts at an institution that only had maybe what seven thousand undergraduates twelve thousand uh, wow. students total we gave away five thousand t-shirts in about an hour and we thought that was a pretty good indicator at launch and then we kept seeing them yeah people wearing them yeah afterwards so that's a good early indicator that you take photos you report back that's an indicator that something is getting noticed either internally or externally can be very affirm affirming for a short-term measure in the medium term it's really interesting you want to watch uh, for behaviors that are going in the right direction if the brand is starting to influence perceptions in people's heads so that might be more leads more applications better yield more visitors greater attendance at alumni events or sporting events, a uh, greater number of donors, you, you name it. You need to be thinking about where you pointed the strategy to do that though. And you probably um, can't prove that the brand is the cause of those improvements. You might not even be able to test yet for changes in perceptions that would be driving those changes in behavior. But here's what's interesting. They're called proxy measures because they're standing in for something you can't yet measure yet or you haven't measured yet. But they're the behaviors that leaders care the most about influencing, right? Yeah. If you ask the leaders, it'd be the proxy measures they want to change. It's in actuality the longer term where you can see the perceptions that are driving those behaviors to change are actually changing. So midterm, proxy measures. In the longer term, you want to repeat the questions that you asked in your original brand research. 
and see if those were the ones that you were aiming at changing have started to change. So is there greater unaided awareness of your school when you ask audiences to name excellent colleges or universities in fill in the blank sure. region? Is there a recall of the brand messages that you were trying to get to stick when you developed the brand expression? We had 95% recognition of Wonk in the first year for internal audiences, which was astounding. And I think that was because it was so bold. And we did word clouds in our original brand research to ask how people describe the university and then created world word clouds in the stakeholder studies three, five, eight years later. And you could literally see the change in the frequency of descriptors that were in the brand strategy. Wow. So wow. that kind of recalls great. Now let's see what else. Would you see more alumni who recommend a prospective student would be another measure of kind of brand loyalty over time if you ask that question uh, earlier on the brand strategy. So those are things that take a longer time to change. Yeah. They change incrementally, especially at first. They kind of have a snowball effect and get greater over time if things are really humming. Well, thank you for taking the time to, to flesh all that out. And I love that. I love those simple examples because I think it really does. I think two things. One, it paints a picture that as you've shared and, and said already, that this is a, this is long term, right? Like we are, you're not going to see this progress overnight. And I think it's very important as you've noted that leadership understand this and be on board with this and whatnot. But at the same time, you can't just say, Hey, wait four years and we'll yeah. see what happens, no. right? So I, I like these examples because it's like, <laughs> hey, look, it's working. People are wearing the t-shirt, right? They've got the bumper sticker. Okay, is it, you know, is, does it have a measurable impact on enrollment if that was the goal? Too early to tell exactly, right? But some indication that there is positive momentum is very reassuring, no matter you know how supportive your leader is. Exactly. So one of the questions I'm curious about, but I know that uh, a lot of folks wrestle with, especially in light of everything that the world has just been through over the last couple of years coming out of the pandemic and how different schools did and didn't do it, adapting to the environment that we were all uh, thrown into very suddenly. There, there's this question that gets uh, surfaced a lot in Rollify comments and you know subscribers writing in, which is, how might an institution know when it is time for a rebrand? Because it is this massive undertaking, as you've so eloquently described. It's very important. What are some of the indicators that it is, in fact, time to do a rebrand and or, you know, a brand refresh, if you will? Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like we could develop an inbound marketing strategy for an agency right now. The five indicators that it's time <laughs> for a rebrand. I would say... If, first of all, if those proxy measures we've talked about and the long-term measures aren't moving in the right direction or they've stopped moving short of what you'd hope for, that's an indication that you should be thinking about some kind of change. If there's been a big institutional repositioning strategy that isn't accounted for in the brand strategy, institutions that have gone through a merger or acquisition, like Northeastern and Mills right now, you know, that would suggest that the positioning for either institution isn't going to suffice for the new combined. Something like that requires require some kind of accounting for in a yeah. strategy. If you've been using the same creative for several years and it's just not flexible enough to keep things fresh while you're sticking to the same strategy, that could make things tough to sustain over time. It's worth looking at least. I would just say you have to be really careful to evaluate the equity that you have built in what you are using, hmm. right? And if there's a lot of value in it, don't change it dramatically. It might be okay to think about an evolution, but not a revolution. There's an example in the book of Meredith College where one of the 
agencies that was working with them was hearing from them that they wanted something new because the internal audiences wanted it. And then when they went out and tested, there was such strong affinity and equity for what they'd been using. The agency came back and said, it'd be a really good idea not to change this. Yeah. It wasn't even that agency's original strategy. It was somebody else's. And they said, you'd be nuts to change this. Huh. Wow. Very well said. And that's helpful. I, I Another thing that I think folks uh, wonder about is, and this obviously involves people beyond the central marketing team, but mm-hmm. when might an institution know that it's time to shake up the the product that they offer and again You're talking I, about higher ed right? i am talking about <laughs> higher ed i am talking about their you know their product portfolio might yeah. be might need some shaking up whether that's programs and majors whether that's the on-campus a living experience right whatever it might be in the in a world in, in the ideal world where marketing is more involved in all of the p's not just the right. promotional right. p how can marketers do a better job or, or what things should they be aware of with respect to when it might be changed, when, when it might be time, excuse me, to, to change some of the core offerings of the mm-hmm. institution? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the conditions have to be in place. You have to be an institution that's ready for some innovation, right? There are some institutions that just are so steeped in status quo that they might not be open to it. And you usually have to have an innovative leader. Hmm leading this kind of initiative for it to happen. But if those conditions are there and you're recognizing things like a big shift in your target audience, either the institution's going to reach for a new audience that they've never done before or something's happened to the audience that you relied on for a long time that's diminishing rapidly, that's a time to be thinking about some kind of significant shift. Or if what you're offering doesn't seem to be relevant or meaningful, to your target audience anymore. I think a lot of the liberal arts colleges in this country are struggling with this question. And they have such a compelling case to make in terms of the future of work and the kind of graduates that they're going to produce that'll be ready for creativity and empathy and problem solving and team building, things that robots aren't good at doing (laughs) and AI can't account for yet. You know, there's a compelling case there, but they haven't been able to think about a way to make it meaningful or relevant in most cases. So the question is, what can you shift either in terms of what you're offering or access to those offers, the way they're being delivered or the price that they're being offered? Some kind of shift that's really going to be a more significant repositioning. And those kinds of shifts are really hard for colleges to do. Yeah, yeah. It. I'm reminded of Brandon Busteed who talks about credigree, which I think is his term, right? Which is this marrying of a credential uh, with a bachelor's degree. And, you know, it, it seems to me like that's a it's pretty innovative thinking there. And I know that there are some examples of this already, but for the liberal arts colleges that you've just referenced, yeah, what does it look like to shake up that product portfolio, if, if at all, so that the heart of what you do so well doesn't change, but, you know, maybe, maybe you add a couple limbs to it, a couple of sort of additional sh- streams to be able to continue to lean into and, and perfect your core offering, whether that's a boot camp, whether that's an industry credential of sorts that you can tack onto a bachelor's degree. None of this is, e- e- you know, easy, obviously, but I think that this is, this is important. So Terry, when you think about the kind of key performance indicators that higher ed CMOs should be held to, right? From a leadership standpoint, let's think about the ideal situation. Great relationship between the president and the CMO. The president understands the value and the importance of marketing as a strategic function. 
but the president is still going to want to ensure that marketing's working, right? And marketing's um, bringing to the table what marketing said it would bring to the table. So in your experience, what are some KPIs that the senior most marketing person within a college or university should be held accountable to? I think it depends on the goals that you set and what you were aiming to change or improve. I had annual performance goals every year that aligned with the institutional strategic plan and the thing we, the priorities we were working on in the brand strategy. And it was a handful of things, three, four things that we'd expect some movement. And we aimed for a particular change Hmm. within a year and how we were going to measure that. So, you know, those I think are fair standards to hold a CMO accountable. Ultimately, if the institution has created has created a commitment to a greater brand experience, then I think it's fair to hold the CMO accountable for growth in brand loyalty or to brand health, among other kind of big, hairy goals. But I'd hold the other cabinet members just as accountable for those if I were a president because all of those portfolios relate to a satisfying customer, stakeholder experience, whatever you want to call it. And I, I love how you started off by just saying that depends on what the goals are who in an ideal situation how are these goals like discerned so obviously at the cabinet but like are there specifically to to the role that marketing will play who should be in that conversation is is this just the president and the cmo are there other folks that you think should be in that conversation to ensure that these goals are understood are mutually shared and then ultimately you know delivered yeah, I, I compare them to advancement goals or enrollment goals. They are still institutional goals, mm-hmm. right? So they might be developed at first between the president and the, the CMO, the marketing goals, but they ought to be shared more widely, first with colleague cabinet members, certainly with team, so that you can cascade, they can cascade their performance goals from what you're ultimately accountable for. That's how you get kind of some steam behind the those goals that you set. I think the marketing task force should be fully involved in tracking sort of with a dashboard, you know, how things are going related uh, to those things. And you should be reporting to the campus. If they're strategic goals, you should yeah. be reporting to the campus, Yeah, you know, on a periodic basis as well. One of the hardest questions that I'm going to ask you probably over the course of this entire series is how should the marketing program be funded? What is a reasonable annual budget for the strategic marketing team? Mm -hmm. It is a hard question, and it's the one that leaders want to know right away. How should we resource this thing? What's it going to take? And inherent in the question almost always is, what is it going to cost? And so I'm going to go back to an earlier theme that we talked about, which is that marketing is not just a cost. It's an investment that should provide a return. It's going to require some upfront investment that won't show as much return, but in a, as it matures, as the strategy matures, it will provide a return on investment. If it doesn't, you need to make adjustments, right? So with that as an, the inherent assumption, there are different measures, both in the book, we're gonna talk about some in the course that you can look at. In this conversation, let's just focus on one way to look at it, which is marketing as a percentage of your total budget, your total institutional budget. You can look at revenue, you can look at expenditures, but I would just for ease, look at what the total budget is for a year. They usually have to be reconciled anyway, and say, what percentage of the total budget is my marketing budget? And what do we want to get to over time? So let's give you some kind of comparables to look at. 
Before the pandemic, the investment in marketing in the corporate sector was 11% of total budget, according to Gartner, and it dropped for pretty understandable reasons to just 6% during the pandemic. We'd expect it to get back kind of to where it was pretty quickly. In higher ed, the latest CMO survey tells us that on average, our budgets are just under 2%. And overwhelmingly, CMOs tell us that it's not enough to satisfy leaders' expectations. You can look at some other kind of ways of framing this to see what's reasonable. Look at startups invest 1% to 3% of their budgets, and then they build them over time. So if you're looking at, you know, starting for the first time, you might aim at establish a budget and then build it. I've been working with a bunch of small colleges whose serious investment in a brand strategy, like they really want to move the needle, is 35 to 4% of budget. And the higher, the entire higher ed sector pre-pandemic was spending 11%, but that includes for-profits and the OPM that were cl- spending closer to 20%. So they're kind of skewing the results. So with all of that, what's realistic? I, I say start with where you are, talk to your leaders about investing like a startup, and aim for getting to at least 4%. That's going to sound huge compared with other things the institution might invest. But in order to really to make a difference in, in the kind of change in perceptions that we're talking about, that's what it's going to take. If you want to gain on your competitors, you've got to be investing more than 4% yeah, yeah. to do that. So whatever you do, I would say start from where you are, try to make a case to build, and then faithfully report on the results. When people see progress, leaders especially, that it's building value for the institution, they'll be more willing to um, invest more. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like, what would a conversation between senior marketing leadership and a president look like, and ultimately the the rest of the cabinet that says, what would you need to see to justify a 3% of total budget investment in marketing? Or what would, and (laughs) you probably won't like what you hear. No, Um, it would be out of whack. But it would be out of whack, but... I mean, talk about a starting place for a cool conversation of like, yeah. okay, well, well, that's unrealistic. Yeah. Let me pull some data here, but all right, what what about this? And then you know, eventually, it's a little bit of a negotiation. negotiation. But I think to your point, Terry, folks just don't understand, even at the highest levels of leadership, what kind of investment this takes, how to do this well, and marketing maybe beyond any other function within a college or university is constantly changing right the tools the tactics the techniques right are so quickly changing that it really does you know require deep attention to what's working and what's not and i think that the the best leaders will find ways to almost negotiate with their leaderships their leadership so that what, what you know what is a two percent of total budget get me versus a three percent versus a four percent but i do think ba- even based off of simpson scarborough's latest uh report that there are trends in the right direction which is good to see yeah. terry how should reporting look within the marketing team and you know what should it look like at at the leadership level in other words how often should the cmo be sharing reports and data with, with the rest of the cabinet. Is there any reason why there should be more or less data shared by the CMO than other cabinet members? Oh, compared to other cabinet members? Yeah. Probably not by function. Yeah. But I think generally speaking at the leadership table, everyone's responsible for reporting at least annually to other leaders and maybe to the institution through results of their strategic plan investments or you know whatever the budget mechanisms are for reporting on results. But I would say the the 
special circumstances when something's new. You have to be reporting. You should be reporting on the early indicators way more frequently to the cabinet, especially to the president. And that might mean every month looking at, you know, what's changed, what's the same, what can you tell about adjustments that need to be made. I, I think it's particularly true in a new digital marketing investment. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of how marketing ROI should be measured, again, I know that this is going to vary pretty dramatically based off of the tools that colleges and universities have access to, based off of teams, based off of structures, et cetera. But can you walk us through a, a sort of starter measurement strategy and then perhaps one that's a, a little bit more advanced, right? So you've got the tools, you've got the people. How do folks go about measuring the return on investment of marketing. Yeah. I'll start by saying we have got to get better at this. If we're going to make the case that marketing is an investment, not just a cost, then we have to be able to measure it. And the only way to get better at it is to start. So let's talk about a simple uh, one as, as a, a starter. Good place to begin might be looking at the cost of acquisition for a particular investment. So if you made a digital ad buy and the goal was to generate leads, take the total leads, divided by the total investment, and you've got a cost per lead. Um, see if you can reduce that over time by re reinvesting in the most effective channels. And then a lower cost per lead is a greater return on investment. So it's still a relative measure. It's not like we invested this and we got that yeah, back. Yeah. It's saying we, we've gotten more cost effective at that, and that's a better use of our investment. And you could really do this for any new marketing investment. A more advanced measure would be to estimate the net revenue for a segment of students after you've accounted for financial aid and tuition discounting. And you'd compare the net revenue for the year to the year before you started a marketing investment. Okay, and You would want to compare the change in net revenue to what you invested in marketing. And that's your ROI. It sounds relatively easy to do. It's not because yeah. of the units involved, the way that the data is aggregated, and you're going to need the help of CFO, the enrollment team, you know, others to gather this data and to do it. But even if it's estimates, you, if you follow the same methodology every year, you can track relative to what you've done the previous year, whether you're doing better or worse. Yeah. My last question for you, Terry, is do you have an example or two or a school you would just want to call out that you know either personally or, or anecdotally, is doing a really good job at, at measuring marketing impact and, and marketing ROI? Yeah, I don't know of great examples of ROI yet. I yeah. keep looking for them. I think we're very immature in that regard. And yeah. if folks have examples, please send them to me at, on, at HighRedWonk on Twitter. On Twitter. <laughs> I'd love to see what you've got and reach out to me. Um, but I would say, you know, overall in terms of measuring brand health yeah. and regular progress on the brand strategy, I think I men mentioned this in another series, Bucknell is doing a really good job of this. They started by setting the baseline in exactly the way that we've described about what they wanted to change. And then they've faithfully measured and reported that. And they do it at pretty regular intervals, more frequently than most of us um, are used to seeing. And now they're tackling the question of brand health on brand strength, which I think is really powerful as well. Wonderful. Well, folks, this is episode seven of the How to Market a University podcast series. As I've mentioned before, if you've been following along with us since the beginning, you're tired of, of hearing me say this, but if you haven't done so already, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash master course and register for Terry Flannery's course on how to market a university. 
Terry, thank you so much for your time, your thought leadership, everything that you're bringing to the industry. This, I, I, every time we sit down to talk, I just learn a lot. So it's Me fun. too. 